Hey, this is Adam Green, creator of the Hatchet franchise and the TV show Holliston, and you are listening to Nightmare Junkhead. in and out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from, this is the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast, a horror podcast that endorses anything considered finger-licking good. My name is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And on today's episode, we delve even deeper into the mouth of March Madness as we welcome the Media Rewind Podcast and the Justin Beam Radio Hour as they help us break down the surviving horror classics from our 1989 bracket. But before we get into that, let me remind you we're part of the Boom Howdy Podcast Network. Boom Howdy. You can find all of our episodes at boomhowdy.com, or the easiest way to listen in is to simply search for Nightmare Junkhead in your iTunes or SoundCloud app, hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, it'll download directly to your listening device. Vice of choice. All up in your 80s hole. And if you are out on the social media, I, the, the just <laughs> the interwebs. Again, just aging myself with every word there. We're on the Facebooks and we're on, on the Twitter. We are on the Twitter, though, and you can find us on Twitter at Nightmare Junk and on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead. And it's important this time of the year to, you know, make sure you're following us on the social media because that is where you will find the Into the Mouth of March Madness bracket. How are you going to play along if you don't have the bracket? So make sure you are continuing to send those in and, as always, show your work. Absolutely. And what's as we go into the round of the Scream 16, it's always bittersweet mm-hmm. because while we are going to be talking four horror classics from the year of 1989. Yes. We must say, though, bid our respect are, you know, pour one out for the ones that we're not talking about, which, and let's face it, had we recorded any other day... It might have been a different story. So, no, yeah, there was some... Unfortunately, like you said, some have to go by the wayside. And going by the wayside, we say goodbye to Jason Takes Manhattan, mm-hmm. Friday the 13th, Part 8. Uh, we say goodbye to the depths of Deep Star 6. Yes. We say... A, <laughs> we say a uh, so long dead is better to Pet Cemetery, And we are getting a divorce from parents as well. And once, like I said, had we talked any other day, we could be talking those movies yep. during this round. But alas, yep. in the round of the Scream 16, we are not. And as you know... Our choices and we're sticking to it, damn it. <laughs> well, we have to at this point. Right. <laughs> It'd be way too much uh, work to go back and re-record those episodes. <laughs> we will go, we'll stay with our work as it is. But as we go into the round of the Scream 16, we like to bring in other people here. And as is our credo this year, our podcast resolution to stay local we wanted to make sure in the round of the scream 16 that everyone we brought in was local mm-hmm. and a little casey uh potter and family and let's face it, it's also a chance just to sit in face to face because right. <laughs> it's it's what skype is great but like talking in studio is one thing when you can look them in the eye it makes a huge <laughs> difference here and to bring in the round of 1989 uh well you can definitely hear our next guest as uh he guides us through all the things that are great in genre cinema or i should say television including the walking dead uh into the badlands and game of thrones you know him you love him he is practically a guest ho- uh, you know a co-host on nightmare junkhead dustin Pryor. hello gentlemen and <laughs> i use that term very loosely extremely present company excluded <laughs> so before we get into the madness please tell our listeners where can they find you out on the social media please plug and promote away absolutely 
So you can find us on Twitter at Media Rewind Pod. You can find us at Media Rewind on the Facebooks. And if you type in the Google's machine, you can find us there as well. <laughs> on the Fax Trolla. I will not stand for this mockery, good sir. Remember, you are a guest. Don't think me as a doormat, my friend. Ooh. Oh, that's right. That's, oh. Hey, it's the 80s that, that brings that out in me. Uh, but ultimately, I think a lot of, um, I wanted to make sure to kind of talk a little bit about Media Rewind. Uh, where did Media Rewind come from? Because you guys have been, it's been going on for a couple years now. Yeah, you know, Genius and I just had this like weird idea. We, we started talking to like different artists and whatnot and people that we wanted to promote and plug away and we, we kind of went through our friends list very quickly <laughs> <laughs> you know because i mean we don't branch out a ton uh, we've got some very very talented friends but you know that pool kind of dried up a little bit just because it was hard getting everybody kind of you know on the same schedule when they could come in and talk you know those kind of things so genius and i were kicking around one time and it was about the same time that into the badlands launched it was i think it was their pilot episode and i, I looked at him and i was like you want to just talk about that and he goes, yeah, oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> it was so like dope. That, yeah, it was kind of like that part in Step Brothers. Did we just become best friends? Yup. <laughs> so like, yeah. So, so there, then like after that was like, hey, let's do The Walking Dead. And, like, mm-hmm. and then uh, let's do Game of Thrones. And then and let's do The Purge. Let's do The Purge. Yeah. And yeah, so. And what's great though is, you know, a lot of people always ask how long we've been friends, Genius, based on the conversations we have in the chemistry. Not that long. What I really like with Media Rewind is the culmination of how many years of friendship? Whoo. Over uh, 25. Yeah, we're closing in on the three-decade t- over, t- over 25. And you can hear it in the conversation. I'm not going to say you have to know inside jokes, but at this point, there is some vernacular with the podcast <laughs> that you kind of have to be you know, enriched in it. But that yes. goes to, again, just the 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 excellence of the conversation. And again, why I enjoy it. Not again, again, I should say, and by all accounts, you are on the Boom Howdy podcast network. Boom Howdy. Uh, and obviously, we're all about promotion here, but you're also our friend, Aww. ultimately. And Is this as, the, the group hug part. Oh, no. That fuck comes, that dude. <laughs> <laughs> fuck that guy. <laughs> Always bringing in the levity, Genius McGee. Thank you very much there. <laughs> but uh, here, as this episode releases in the month of March, what are you guys going to be knee deep in reviewing at this point? Well, we've already started the back half of season nine of The Walking Dead. Um, they just actually came back from their mid season break. Um, on the 24th and 25th into the Badlands relaunches for their final eight episodes of the of the show, which Genius and I are pretty salty about. So, yeah, it's bittersweet, but we're going to be, like, neck deep in some badass Badlands, and, like, I'm pretty fucking excited for it. Yeah, and then hot on, you know, hot on the trail of that one, you know, Game of Thrones launches their final season, so it's like... It's Cindy Margolis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, I love those shows, but we're going to have to find some new ones because we get two of, two of our four staples that are in right. Though. <laughs> well, the purge though. Purge we, is coming back. Yeah, so. they they actually just inked their deal for their second season, so I believe they've already started production on it. So, well, what's nice though is all the, the shows that you watch. A lot of them are kind of horror adjacent, mm-hmm. because as we mm-hmm. like to joke on the podcast, you're kind of our resident action expert. I do like action. You are you are definitely steeped in the action genre, so you bring that interesting perspective. Because ultimately, technically. Really, one of the four kind of has a little bit of an action beat mm-hmm. with the four films that we're going to mm-hmm. be looking at here. Um, in fact, let's get into it. We're going to just go top to bottom with our remaining survivors. And our first matchup we have here for 1989 in the round of the Scream 16, <coughs> we have a franchise representation. Mm-hmm. And one, of the, one of the icons, one of the big ones. One of the Yeah, absolutely. On the Mount Rushmore, going up against a little bit of a creature feature. Mm-hmm. We do have A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, The Dream Child. 
going up against Leviathan. Yes. <laughs> so guest first here, Dustin. Which one shall we tear into first? Uh, let's go ahead and do some Freddy. Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm, to I'm, the Freddy. <laughs> <laughs> it's your horse to and fro. <laughs> Open the gates now. <laughs> I don't even think on the commentary track we did. We did that. You're already at this point with the. Uh... I, I think we need to apologize to your listeners too because I think we just blew out some eardrums. Hey, they say everybody is their first podcast. Fucking welcome. Yes. So- <laughs> So ultimately, <laughs> with a Nightmare on Elm Street, I want even beyond the Dream Child as a kind of again a you you enjoy horror, mm-hmm, but it's not necessarily the first thing you seek out. So, what was your actual initial first experience with a Nightmare on Elm Street, the franchise? Oh God, I think it was Part Four. Okay, I, I really do because I I mean I had to go back and watch the other ones because you know back when I was uh, you know younger, I didn't really gravitate toward horror unless it was like sci-fi horror, you know, like Alien and, mm-hmm. and, and those kind of things. And then when Nightmare on Elm Street came along, it was like, oh, cool, you know, Freddy. And, you know, and that was about the time that that Freddy stopped being like menacing and he started turning comical. So I think that's really what grabbed me with the the franchise. And, makes sense. and this particular entry obviously follows the Dream Master. By any chance, did you see the Dream Child in the theater? I did not. Palling around with Genius back in the day? You know, that was what's what was really weird is that when this, you know, kind of came out and whatnot, it was kind of like the, the, the birth of our friendship. And uh, it wasn't really like, hey, you want to go to the movies? You know, kind of thing. So, We're going to the fun factory. That's yes. true, because technically... And going to see RoboCop and shit like that. With this one being its 30th anniversary, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, you guys are on the precipice of 30. So yeah. I guess that's true. That's true. Uh, you know, ultimately, I'm glad we were able to bring you in because when we rewatched this for this particular tournament, you were there. So was that rewatch that when we saw it, was that your first time in a while then? For the uh, it was job? definitely the first time in a while. Um, but I, I, I got to say that I actually appreciated it more this time, you know, because I, th- I think it's a pretty damn good film. I mean, overall, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say a shocking statement, but I think ultimately if you were put, you know, that one on the hierarchy of the film, I don't think many people rank it that high. What do you think it was that maybe turned your your um, your perception on it? You know, honestly, it's the kills. Is it? I, I think, you know, like the like the sleeping bag Jason kill in, in Friday. It's like those kills are so unique. I mean, think about what he does. He turns the one guy into like a steampunk motorcycle guy. Yeah. You know, and it like morphs him into the crotch rocket. Yeah. You know, he force feeds the the, the one girl like a garbage pail kid. Bon appetit, bitch. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like it just in the visuals on it, you know, it's just a, a really good rewatch. I think ultimately Freddie does get a chance. He is more creative when it comes to the kills, mm-hmm. ultimately, versus Michael or Jason. And I think that's what people, for the most part, came to see. It's yeah. like, how will Freddie kill someone this time? Although, I will say, this is also the one that gave us um, Super Freddy <laughs> as well, which, again, like... And I can tell you exactly when I started watching this is, you know, Genius and I used to collect comic books when I was younger. Or when we were younger, right? Yeah, I don't and think still, he was. Yeah, and exactly. still, I, I and still, I should act like I'm all grown right. up. <laughs> but, right, uh, and still, right about that time, you know, Image, uh, you know, all those guys from Image had broken off from Marvel and mm-hmm. whatnot and started their own thing. If you watch the, the the comic book, you know, kills, he looks like Grifter from Image Comics. He does. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he looks like Grifter without the face when he mask. Co- when he becomes like the Prowler. I mm-hmm. think it was called. The midnight, the midnight prowler, the prowls of midnight. But uh, you, you think about like the the kills in the franchise and whatnot, and I actually li- I like the comic book kill probably the best because 
it has that aha moment, you know, the, the take on me moment when he kind of mm-hmm. pulls him into the book. <laughs> he gets all black and white, and then all of a sudden everything just kind of goes crazy. <laughs> That's another way, I think, to do the Freddy, as it turns out. <laughs> but as you mentioned, though, Freddy has become more of a caricature at this point. But I even, when I was writing everything down, I what I really appreciate in this particular entry is the fact that they did try to enhance how they bring him back this mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm. Dog yeah. piss. Again, going beyond dog piss. Um, is this something, as a non-necessarily horror fan, um, is this something that you were able to follow along with? I know that sounds silly, but it's just... No, no, and, and I think there, there are a lot of people that get too hypercritical of movies. You know, everybody likes to... Nowadays, everybody likes to shit on films. You know, I'm, I'm one of those people that when I watch a film, I can just kind of, you know, tune out certain plot holes and, and those mm-hmm. kind of things. And, I mean, I like the way they brought him back because I thought it was creative. Yeah. You know, I mean, how many times can you bring a dude back in a dream? <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, and now it's like, oh, you got to do something a little bit a little bit different. Well, and speaking of really different, I mean, and it, the way that it tackles, like, what she's going through with the child and dreaming through the child and mm-hmm. then the whole imagery of him being birthed all, like, squiggly diggly. Just and like, he was a yoked up baby. Do you remember that? Yeah, big ass head, man. He looked like <laughs> when I was born. And, like... <laughs> <laughs> But it was it's it's scary. I mean, again, it, it plays on the fears because when um, the whole like, oh, shit, so I'm bringing another person into life and I'm passing my dream powers on to mm-hmm. him. I thought it was a good place to go on that whole arc that they did. I thought the story was pretty well creative. Yeah. And do you think then maybe just being a little older now that does bring that perspective into play versus yeah. maybe when you've seen it? Yeah, because when you're younger, you're like, man, Alice is hot. <laughs> you know, but now you're actually able to watch it, and you're like, oh, okay, I've met some of these people at yeah. conventions and whatnot. So, Yeah, there's, again, the power of that. So final thoughts on uh, Dream Child before we take a dive into Leviathan? Not perfect, but definitely liked it. Excellent. And that's, that's always, I'm curious, the perspective on that. Mm. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I really, I've always liked this movie. I, like, it's never been on my top three, but at watching this rewatch, I'm like, this is, it's clever for what it is. The kill count is not as high as some of the sure. other ones, and the people can be like, oh, I wanted more kills and stuff. But I thought they weaved into the story quite well. And as a capper to the dream child. The arc, yeah, yeah the, the dream trilogy. of the, yeah, and I thought it was a good way to send him off. I, I agree, I agree. And so we go deep underwater with our next film. Under the sea. And what I think that truly is a more your speed, actually, especially given the director, uh, George P. Cosmatos, but Leviathan. Uh, initial interaction with that one do you remember oh god i remember watching it when i was a kid Mm -hmm. you know because my brother was like the gateway to all the cool shit back when i was younger and whatever i didn't see with him i saw with genius you know so it was like i think we saw terminator 2 at at, yeah you know indian Springs south (laughs) but it was like all the all the 80s films that were really really kick-ass i saw with my brother and i remember seeing it then and it completely fell off my radar. I mean, I hadn't seen Leviathan until we had screened it in your basement. The, yeah, I mean, it was, actually, oh, no, no, it was, was the it was the outside. Yeah, yeah, it was the, yeah, it was the backyard. And it, it had been that long. And I, and I remember thinking to myself after everything kind of broke out, I'm like, why did it take me so long to rewatch this? You know, because it was cool. It's a, it's a good flick. Well, ultimately, and I think, how long has it been since you've watched The Abyss? Oh, God. Uh, at least a decade. Okay. And ultimately, and I think if you skip between the three, like Deep Star Six, Leviathan, and the Abyss, <laughs> you would think based on kind of your background, you'd skew more towards the Abyss, mm-hmm. just based on kind of the pedigree of those. And then obviously kind of with G- Genius and I, it's Deep mm-hmm. Star, Deep Leviathan. Star, Leviathan. <laughs> <laughs> but also uh, kind of how does it rank for you as kind of a sci-fi action horror film? 
Uh, it ranks up there with aliens. You know, I'm, I'm not going to, there, there's like a echelon, you know, aliens and predator are up on the top shelf. This would be like the third shelf down, you okay. know, so, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that in a, in a pandering type of way. I mean, you know, Leviathan is a, is a good film. It's a great watch, but it's just not, it's not aliens. You sure. Know? Just like deep stars, not Leviathan, the whole shelf. Shelf. Right. It's the always save to the name brand. Yeah. Because well, when you make that choice, you're making the best choice, choice possible for, for, for you, you and your, your family. family. Always save. <laughs> Yep. Well, again, going back to the strength of the cast as well, you know, you can t- pull John uh, Karina from the Rambo franchise. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Colonel Which, Troutman. Yeah, absolutely. Hell yeah. Uh, you've got Peter Weller from RoboCop, from from Buckaroo Banzai. Yep. Uh, you've got Ernie Hudson, mm-hmm. obviously. Often from Ghostbusters. You got Daniel Stern, one of the wet bandits, getting really <laughs> wet under the water. He's a real wet bandit there. <laughs> and then you got uh, DeJesus yep. and Hector Elizondo. It's just a great cast. Well, and I think that's, we talked about it on the last episode, why it does kind of separate itself from Deep Star Six as mm-hmm. The Abyss does from Leviathan. Because unfortunately, if you put up um, um, Ed Harris versus Peter Weller, yeah. you know, it's Don't Let Go. Don't Let Go. <laughs> I just can't, I want to see a dance off. I want to see a dance off between, between Ed Harris like, and, and Peter Weller <laughs> doing the really? RoboCop. Yeah. Like Peter Weller, like pop locking and dropping it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's like fucking Ed Harris. Don't let go. <laughs> it would be interesting. Uh, your thoughts on the creature? Slimy. I, I remember <laughs> rewatching it, going, they put a lot of um, goo like, liquid into this film. <laughs> just drippy with KY, just like, hey, who wants well, to get squeaked? Well, you know that you know that you know special effects house love them some KY because <laughs> yeah. you know that's that's what they did back in like the eighties and the the early nineties. I mean, you mix KY with food coloring, you had blood for every alien mm-hmm. imaginable, and that was Stan Winston, wasn't it? It was, yeah, and it, they were that's cool cool monsters. Yeah. I mean, it was just in the way like you like transformed and shit. Well, I think between this and Jason Takes Manhattan, the KY use between those two films <laughs> actually pretty much gooey. It's right? so gooey. <laughs> but that's the other thing as well that, that you know it introduced body horror into the elements. Um, but the thing I want to talk about, and I don't know if we mentioned talked about it as much before, but spoiler alert here: Ernie Hudson, in a very kind of plot twist, you think everyone he and there's three of them get away, mm-hmm. and ultimately he dies, and which is horseshit. It's always bothered me. Your thoughts on that? You don't kill the man off. I mean, come on now. And I, I think it, I can't remember exactly what I was reading, but they said like out of all, like all the aquatic adventures that we've ever seen, like mm-hmm. LL Cool J is the only African-American char- character not to be killed off in the end of the film. And I'm like, really? The LL is the I mean, I love LL, but but he's the only one. Maybe yeah, he's no. going back to Cali. <laughs> I don't think so. But ultimately, you have a chance to kind of, you know, eliminate you destroy a horrible trope but they don't they yeah just indulge exactly into it. Yeah. yeah which i do i'll be honest kind of you know excuse my opinion of the film a little bit um but you know you can only do so much so but only one of these films can advance into the round of the hateful eight and here in the round of the scream 16 we like to show our work <laughs> to see which film will advance and it comes down to two things mm-hmm and we like to be consistent, and as much as we like to go closer to your heart, closer to the heart. Oh, we got to work on that falsetto, I know, I know, man. I know, I know. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> but we also Trying. like to make sure we get our guests to indulge in it, so we will again ask which of the two films are closer to your heart. And then the second question we ask, if you were to remove one of these films from the year of 1989, which one would leave that year poorer? Mm, I think Leviathan would leave 89 poorer. 
Damn, J- Dustin's just gonna j- just jump right in so here. That that's was the a- second category. Oh, we gotta do the first category, close to the you know heart what? first. I'll, I'll, but great, guess go. No, guess do. You nope. know, closer to the heart though, I would definitely say Nightmare Five. You know, for for me personally, I always love Freddy. I mean, I just like the way that he kind of turned from being you know this menacing character to just being this. I mean, he was a stand-up comic in the in the in the back half of that whole franchise. Yeah, da, 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 da. I mean, and, and it really, you know, the the pivot point for me was welcome to primetime, bitch. You know, and that that was like, okay, cool. You know, I got Andrew Dice Clay now. You know, so I mean, <laughs> he's over there with his cigarette, little Miss Muffins, uh, but his arms like really extending her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I mean, I, I would say closer to my heart would definitely be Freddy. But let's you mentioned in Re- Leviathan though. If you take which of the so Leviathan would leave 89 poor why show your work Ooh. well i think you know with with winston's company and you know all the i guess the creatures that he had done up to that point i mean you think of like the iconic you know characters and 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 all of the the different things that he had done i mean you you just look at like everything that he did over his career i mean you know the predator he came in and saved that film that film would have been a complete turd if Mm -hmm. i mean i don't care you know uh, sorry i love arnold I love all those guys yeah. in that movie, but if they would have stuck with the original Predator, come yeah. on, no, Misa, that I hate that movie right? because you had Jar Jar Binks as the bad guy, a big old carrot running. <laughs> but but for me, I mean, you 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 do get that, you know, because at that point you didn't really have a lot of like you know like you were saying the body the body horror, you know, mm-hmm. you didn't have that that kind of like weird. This genius calls it squidly diddly. Yeah. You know, you didn't have a lot of that kind of hitting at that point because then you start, you know, transforming into like the Terminator twos and, and, you know, the, the more individual type of, you know, action films. But, you know, for like sci-fi, um, it, it hits all the buttons for me. You know, that works. No, it's truly showing your work. Perfect. Genius. Which of the two closer to your heart, dream child or Leviathan? Okay. So I remember seeing Freddy in the theater, and I didn't catch Leviathan until later on. But at the same time, if if you were to ask me what movie would I want to watch right now, closer to the heart, I would have to go with Leviathan. I think Leviathan is just an overall around be- better movie because of the cast, because of the writing, because of the special effects. And because of just, it's a cool monster movie, and I love monster movies. But on, if we're going to the next, are we going to then? We're we're gonna say Baldy rules. Yeah. Okay. I was about to so say, we're going to the next out of one. order. Sorry, so, guys. No, 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 no. Okay. I ruined it. <laughs> you ruined everything. That's why we can't have nice things. No, but <laughs> no, but if I'm gonna go, which one would leave? It poorer if it was taken away. I would have to go with Nightmare on Elm Street because that's a franchise, and while it's not my favorite franchise, it continued on and kept going because he was a phenomenon. If we would lose Leviathan, we would lose something truly special, but it wouldn't make a blip on the radar to me. If you asked, if you say, "Hey, where do you know Peter Weller from?" Who the fuck's going to say Leviathan except us? You know what I'm saying? They're going to say Robocop or Buckaroo Banzai. But if sure. you take out Freddy 5, you don't have Freddy 6 or Freddy 7 or all that, or New Nightmare. You know, well, then you wouldn't have the remake. That might be a blessing and a curse. But so I, I think if you took out Freddy, you would leave it poor. I know that's perfect. Again, showing your work. When it comes to being closer to the heart of these two films, only one of them have I screened in my backyard or I bring in my close personal friends where we can, you know, enjoy it. <laughs> Only have we had a one sweller of a summer. We have not had a 
Um, I can't even begin to think with a Freddy sleepover. Yeah, exactly. Elm Street sleepover. I got to go with Leviathan on this one. Now, had we talked an earlier entry of the franchise, it could have switched. But for me, it's Leviathan. And regarding which one leaves the year poorer, I've got to go with Leviathan. And I really appreciate your argument for the inclusion of Elm Street on that. But honestly, even if you get rid of part five, we still have the original. We have two, That's three, four. That's very true. That's very true. Those still exist. With Leviathan, you get Stan, Stan Winston being able to you know, flex his underwater muscles there with yeah. a weird creature. You get Peter Weller getting a chance to deliver an, uh, an, uh, kind of a performance that, while it's not RoboCop-esque, People like us do appreciate it. No, it's it. a great performance. This is why I pr- I think if I remember that, I, I may have paired it with uh, Of Unknown Origin. Yeah. You know so. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. So ultimately, yep. Uh, by a score of one, two, three, four, four to two, it looks like Leviathan is absorbing Freddy. Don't dream it. <laughs> be it. Can you imagine he pulls back his sweater and it's just. <laughs> Leviathan is yes. to Jesus and Daniel Stern. Hey. You know. <laughs> Could totally change it, but uh, it looks like Leviathan is going to advance into the round of the Hateful Eight, which leads uh, leaves us with two films from 1989, which... <laughs> <laughs> two very, very different films. But the only things I think that exist within them is they both start with the letter S. We are talking of Brian Yuzna's Society going up against Wes Craven's Shocker. Shocker! Which of the two shall we start with there, oh, Dustin? Oh, good lord! Can, can we can <laughs> we get the, uh, the 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 society over with do, first, do please? You to, shall we? Because I think we... I need to take a shower after we talk about it. <laughs> it's, a bra- it's a brave choice opening with the shunting uh, there, exactly. my friend. Oh, all I'm, all I'm saying, the shunt. We we rented it on my Amazon Prime account, and now I'm on a fucking watch list. Thanks a lot, Greg. <laughs> As if I wasn't on another one anyway. Well, there was a reason I asked to log into yours for that. I mean, you know, playing a Grandmaster esque. (laughs) So I have to. Was this your first time watching Society? Yeah. Let me ask you this: We always talk about films that have reputations. Mm -hmm. You know, action they still have them as well, but horror has certain films where you, even if you haven't seen them, you know of them. Mm -hmm. I'm curious: Had you heard or anything about Society? No, you guys all the time (laughs) (laughs) talking about yeah, shunting all the time. Come on, <laughs> shunting this, oh, shunting this. So we, I, so I guess we know what the next space on the bingo cards are. <laughs> yeah, it ought to be the free space. Okay, <laughs> there you go. The shunting. So that being said, having heard of the, what was your experience like seeing it for the first time? You know, honestly, <laughs> I, did, I didn't mind it. I thought the uh, the acting was a little like cardboard. You know, it was it was a little stiff. You mm-hmm. know, because it didn't really have a really good interaction. Um, I do remember thinking though that you know the main character. I was like, man, that guy's like a really, really like generic John Stamos, who at that time was a really, really generic Charlie Sheen. Yeah. Because you remember like the late 80s, everybody, you know, all the guys were brunettes, all the girls were blondes. Yeah. So I was like, you really had the same hair. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody had that same hairstyle, except for me. (laughs) (laughs) I had a rat tail. Hell yeah. Well, well, young Billy Warlock was wearing and rocking quite a kind of quasi mullet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was kind of the Martin Riggs. Yeah. From a few years earlier in 87, because it was just enough of a mullet that you might be able to hang with a rocking metal crowd. It was a mole. But, yeah. Not ooh, quite a mullet. The mole of the mullet. Mm-hmm. Um, also, and I'll admit, it is a little bit more campy than... Well, actually, yeah. no, Shocker is pretty campy yeah, as well. Yeah, they're both pretty campy, but this one has, like, Some more families serious. diddling each other. Yeah, and it was funny. I always talk about peripheral viewings at this point. I'm not going to lie, because <laughs> genius... Have you seen Society? I, I've seen Society. Yeah, have you yeah. seen that? I've seen it now. 
this was also your technically your first viewing. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. It was a nice scene that. And it's, the thrill of the shunt. That's. <laughs> It's oh. the, the thrill of the hunt, taste of the shunt. It's oh. horrible, horrible. So how was your experience then? Because you kind of know this film as well, but... I enjoy, I enjoyed the shit out of it. I truly did, but it was so fucking weird and gross. I was like, they're diddling each other and something horrible is going to happen. And I knew it was going to happen again because of you, sir. And so I've seen a shunting. I've been, I've been witness, but I haven't seen the full-on shunt. And when everything happened, I thought it was a really great satire, but really fucking gross. I was skeezed out the whole movie. Mm-hmm. It was I, just I, like, you were preparing for it. I yeah. was prepared. And it just kept getting gnarlier and gnarlier. And I'm like, ew, everybody's having sex with each other. But then again, not a deal breaker. I mean, like the shunting, <laughs> not necessarily a deal breaker. If I've got to go out, I might as well go out with this bang, you know? Well, even when everything got very bendy and so forth, so, just don't dream it from the back of the basement you would just hear this yeah not a deal breaker (laughs) i I don't see the problem with it i mean (laughs) until all the old people started coming and it became an episode of real sex (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think i checked out for a little bit after that the old guy in like his uh his tank top and his his, his, his white boxers and his dirty ass beater about to get slimy and the worst part the shunting it almost looks like you're watching it like scrambled like you're actually mm-hmm. not watching the clear version you right. don't really know what you're looking no, at they need to release a black and white version of society like the fucking sh- slimy like and the, chrome slimy. <laughs> <laughs> mediocre in the shunt <laughs> Well, if you've been to any of the uh, movie nights we host, if we do anything body <laughs> horror, I usually, without without fail, there's a will end shunting. with a shunting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so I guess I guess you need context with your shunting. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Apparently. sometimes not. I think so. I, you know what? The shunting is bad itself, but it's the build up to the shunt throughout the movie, and then finally the extended shunt. Because when you showed the shunting on our events, it's only like a it's an abridged shunt. It's like the Reader's Digest. <laughs> of shunting and so like, you don't want to read that on the toilet the, the, cl- the cliff note version of shunting uh, pick it up it's like it's been in the rain it's all fucking wet and shit oh. well this gives us the the effect worked of one screaming mad george yes it does and mm-hmm. i'm curious what were your thoughts on the level of effects uh, wow i don't even know where to go on this one the the like the ooey gooey like sucking portion it's like the guy's face like looked like an anteater at one point mm-hmm. so that was kind of cool yeah the anteater um, joins and- the shunt <laughs> <laughs> but then the other part that just like i wouldn't say disgusted me because it's it's hard as hell to disgust me but when the guy's <laughs> hand comes out of the dude's mouth i'm oh. just like oh shit shit just got real yeah <laughs> <laughs> beyond real surreal surreal <laughs> and everything's bathed in like ky and red light mm-hmm. look like some weird ass club in amsterdam big it's called the pepto bismol you can get them in amsterdam <laughs> Well, between this and Leviathan, I guess, in this round, we do have some. But this one, I think, kind of tops it, though. Oh, yeah. They, they definitely blew the KY budget on this film. Yeah. It's like the thing, but a different kind of thing. <laughs> well, even thing. like the, 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 from, the, from the fist out of the mouth to the inside out. To the out, inside and out. Just and just the, is... the, the fingertips coming out of the shoulder blades and just like all this 
But again, not a deal breaker because my back hurts. Shit, that'd be kind of awesome getting a massage from the inside out. They'll get Fuck the kink yeah. out. Yeah, well, yeah, well, add Bye. in yeah. <laughs> until the dirt until again until the dirty old men come and ruin everything. So that being said, does the film live up to its reputation? Uh, let's start with you on that, Dustin. Yeah, I would definitely say so. Okay, I mean, and I think the the part that really got me kind of given the what the fuck face is the part where you're like it's his sister that he walks in in the shower yes. right yeah and like she's got her back turned to the glass so you yep. can see her bare buttocks mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden she turns and her torso is the only thing turning it's so weird it's it's, so it's like weird. i shouldn't be turned on but, but i kind of am again not a deal breaker. <laughs> like i let's see let's see where this goes you know it's like <laughs> And uh, now Greg is disgusting. <laughs> There's a reason you're on that list now, good sir. <laughs> Grease of nostalgia. Genius. <laughs> what, did it live up to the expectations? Yes, it did. And <laughs> then some. Because, like like I said, I saw the shunting and I seen, like, the, hey, I guess I'm a bu- uh, ass face after, no, right. butthead after butthead, all. Yeah. And so I've seen that and I know of that. And that was part of, like, yeah, I've seen that. But again, it was the buildup up yep. into the shunt. And then. It, the shunting kept going and going. Mm-hmm. This is like a twenty-minute shunt, and so that's a, that's long in shunting standards, I would assume. No refractory period or nothing. So like, Sting's a big fan of shunting. Right. Uh... <laughs> Tantric shunting. Oh, but like, <laughs> but like, <laughs> I don't even want to imagine that. That's awful. The shunting that just goes dream on. Man. Yeah. Pace but... it. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm I'm glad though because. That was actually the, the one of the cool things again of the whole thing. I is, went. There was a time I audibly gasped, and I was like, "This movie's making me feel icky, icky, icky." So well, and there's a reason why it still bites, you know, mm-hmm. you know, this many years later, thirty years later. So from society, from something that is, you know, you know, definitely more of a satirical take on society to more of a satirical take on media, uh, we have Wes Craven's entry here with Shocker. So Dustin, who, let's face it. Could pretty easily. He could do Horace Pinker I cosplay. Really think he, could. he totally it's, could do Horace Pinker cosplay. Can we find me like the checkered like jumpsuit, yep. the checkered onesie? You I got it, baby. Carry around your to carry no, around TV with better me. yet. I'll just put my I'll put a TV over my head. Ah. There we go. Come out like ah, ah. nice. Yep, nice. So, Comic Con is coming up, ladies and gentlemen. Let's see if anybody picks ah, up on it. Ah. So at this point, since we've kind of convinced you to cosplay as Horace Pinker, do you remember <laughs> your initial interaction with Shocker? Uh, it was not in the theater. Okay. It, w- it was definitely afterwards because, like, you know, what was really weird is I saw, like, all the nightmares and whatnot pretty soon after they came out. Um, but I didn't really get on a lot of Wes Craven stuff until really late. Like, I was in my late teens. So, I mean, it was definitely late, late. Genius. Theater. 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 I remember, I don't remember what theater it was. It was either Indian Springs, but I think it might have even been Crown Center. I was on the rich part of town. Ooh. Right? Ooh, mm. fancy. Mm. Were you there for the shunting? Right? <laughs> yes, I was there for the shunt. But um, I remember, like, laughing hysterically <laughs> when that little girl's, come on, you fucker, you know? <laughs> and I remember that, and I remember cracking up, and, and my mom was like, that's not funny. So, and I... And she hated it, but I was like, this movie is great. So from shunting to a serial killer, what are your thoughts then on Shocker? Dude, I love Mitch Pileggi. Okay. I, I, I love He's, that dude to death. Yep. I mean... Anytime he shows up in things, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, like X-Files. He's he's not really a bad guy in X-Files, but he's kind of... You, 
underhanded and intimidating. Skeezy. Was he neutral, yeah. chaotic neutral? Like yeah. what would be his D and D class? You know, something <laughs> along those lines. Ultimately, though, is it Pelegi or Pelegi? Oh, good God! Is That's that like the question. Buckflower, Buckflowers kind right? of thing? I don't know, man. Mitch P. So, somebody just told me that Ariana Grande's name is no longer Grande; it's Grandy. It's Grandy. So it's like, whoa! Like the Grandy old Opry. Yeah. Hmm. I I, I don't know say, what to think. I will say this: He to this day still, I think, before he becomes like the 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 cartoonish clowns, you know, at post. Mm-hmm. Electric chair. Mm-hmm. He is super scary in this role. Oh. He's terrifying. Yeah, and as he's gotten older, he's taken on other roles that have gotten like equally, if not more, terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like uh, you, Genius knows I'm a huge Sons of Anarchy fan. He plays like an Aryan Brotherhood, oh, like not oh, a, not a shot caller, but like a higher up in, in that show. That's right. And he is terrifying as shit in that show during the beginning portion. Was it Darcy? Yeah. I caught bits and pieces of that show, so that's yeah. the bits and pieces I remember because, yeah, he is still effective to this yeah. day. He's scary as hell, and even he's in Shocker, he, Horace Pinker fucking kills entire families. He breaks into their house, kills children and everything, and just limps away. I take and, that back. It was Darby. Darby. Yep. Okay. Okay. I knew it was the D word yep. somehow. <laughs> he is a D word. <laughs> I don't know what the D word so is. So ultimately, though, you're because th- we know that Shocker was kind of Wes Craven's reaction to the Nightmare series at this point, being in their part five, kind of his new take on Freddy. That being said, since you have that nuanced background, do you find Horse Pinker in Freddy's League at all? Mm. Oh, man, that's that's so hard because he only had one movie. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Freddie yeah. had like a like a history, you know? He had he had a following. He had groupies. Yeah, well he's <laughs> four or five villains. Oh! <laughs> he had a forty five for Christ's yeah, sake. Yeah, he did. But we're like five films deep by this point. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think if I think if you know, Horace Pinker would have gotten a you know, maybe a sequel or, you know, something other. Yeah. It would have uh, been nice to see Shocker 2, you know? would have. I'm all for Shocker 2. Um, a couple things with Shocker. We've talked a little bit about the soundtrack just mm-hmm. being so freaking good and amazing. I, you kind of delve a little into the metal. Do you, I'm, not, not, I'm not metal metal. I'm just man. Just, you know, a little bit occasionally. Yeah. Uh, this The soundtrack is obviously one of the things that, you know, is still near and dear to my heart on that. Uh, but we did mention... Uh, the, the little kid cursing. Yeah. And <laughs> I I like this movie because it has a lot of different aspects. And when you asked him if you think it's on, if he would be on League with Freddy, I'm going to go ahead and say yes. I think he's clever enough and he does some cool shit. Not only can he body swap, but he can like manipulate when he's out in astral mm-hmm. form. He can manipulate himself, become cherry, you Ah, come in and pull yourself the electric chair like Pinker, but like, so like, <laughs> and then he can do other cool stuff, and he can go through TVs mm-hmm. and come out. He's a terrifying figure. You don't have to be asleep. You can be watching TV, and he's gonna come and fuck with you. So I think he, if if given more to do, more movies. Yeah we would probably be singing different story. We'd probably be on like Shocker 10 by now. So like Pinker's coming through your internet porn yes. instead of just the TV. Oh, and that's just it. Pinker you could, hub. You could totally <laughs> remake Shocker now yeah. with that kind of an edge. With Mitch Pelleggi still. Oh, yeah. You could do chat roulette and then like 
horse pinker shows up and then dives out at you somehow right? i'm gonna bleed you <laughs> i mean it really writes itself right, right that's brilliant i would see that well as brilliant as both of these films are unfortunately only one can go from the round of the scream 16 to the round of the hateful eight and here we are going to break down the criteria we're going to ask which one of the two are closer to your heart <laughs> no, nah, no, nah, it's okay. That's okay. And of course, which if you took one away would leave the year of 1989 poor. And again, we will start with our guest, Dustin. Which of the two are closer to your heart? Closer to my heart, I would definitely say Shocker. Okay. Because I just, I, I like the movie. I mean, granted, some of the CGI doesn't hold up just because of yeah. the year. But yeah. I, it, it was a fun movie. You know, it, it was fun all the it's, way around. Mm-hmm. So, that being said, if I could reach that part of my brain with a Q-tip that would get society out of there, <laughs> I would definitely try. <laughs> you know, everybody needs to know what a shunting is. Nobody needs to see it. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's two votes for shocker for you. <laughs> <laughs> but can I just say, I, I, I'm sorry to hate to, I, I hate to do this, but Peter Berg, for the longest time, for some reason in my mind, I always thought that was Ethan Hawke. I have oh. no idea why. It's like I always got those two confused. Well, huh. I, was to, I was about to ask, you know, I know as an action fan, you should probably be thankful for Peter Berg because he did, you know, drop a few films in the action yeah. can as well as Friday Night Lights, some other good things outside of the horror genre. Uh, so which of the two then I was I assume your vote would be then for which two if you which film if you took it away would leave 1989 poor 1989. I'm talking about 2019. <laughs> if, if we take society out of it, make my 2019 better. No, um, and, and I don't mean to say that in a bad way because I mean society was a you know it was a, it was a film. No, that's okay. <laughs> that it just wasn't my kind of film. That's why we brought you back. Yeah, on. that's why we have you on here for that perspective. But so. I would say if you take if you take society out of 1989, I mean I don't think that that particular year would be impacted. No, okay. That works. Mm -hmm. Genius. Which of the two is closer to your heart? I I have to go with Shocker. I remember seeing in the theater. Remember, I've been championing it for a while, and I I really thoroughly enjoyed my viewing of uh, the society, and I will never forget my first shunting, right? (laughs) 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 I'm going to have to go with uh, Horace Pinker on this one. No, that works for me. And I'm going to echo that as well. And again, my reason is this is one that I re- I've revisited so many times on VHS uh, blockbuster rental at my buddy Steve's house. This is something that just whenever I see it, it it's it's more comfort food than society. Thankfully, because if society was my comfort food, that's not finger licking good on that. <laughs> society had great special effects. Though. No, fantastic, oh, yeah. but gross. That's yes. Very gross. Mm-hmm. So genius of the two, if you took uh, either society or shocker away, which would leave 89 poorer? See, okay. Uh-oh. No, it, it seems like nobody knows. Ab- nobody knows about Shocker. You know, I mean, this is one of those ones that lost Wes Craven, even among horror yeah. fans. And, and they, even people that know Shocker, they go, "Oh yeah, Wes Craven oh, did that." Yeah, and you're like, "Oh yeah," and you got to almost explain the plot, yeah. you know, into like you know the guy that travels through. And so, if you talk about shunting, they're both. I mean, to me, they're almost not not hidden gems, but of course, because I've never seen of course the yeah, shunting no, until just, then. Yeah. So it's almost like both of them have been taken out, but I would really, really, really love to see more of Horace Pinker. If we could have got that more horse pinker, I, like I said earlier, I think we'd be singing talk about more. So I think if we take society away, we still have more ooey gooey grossness. You know, I don't want to see another shunting, but I want to see the more the liar. F- well, no, I take that back. I do, I do, but no, 
<laughs> but not for a not for a while. But again, it comes down to the comfort food aspect. Certainly, so. certainly. Well, for me, I'm looking at the difference, and I agree ultimately the fact that I, it's a shame that people don't really see this within the higher echelon of Wes Craven's canon because mm-hmm. it's one that is near and dear to my heart. But ultimately, for me, and unfortunately for the the story that is still relevant with the the ills you see in society true the film plays truer today than it did back in 89 and i think it's one of those films that we talked with some of those 79 films where you hope you know how many years from now they're still not relevant but man with you know what you see in society and what you see today i think because of that it is an important film and so my vote does go for society but that's about the only vote society got. <laughs> so uh, I guess uh, Horace Pinker is changing the channel because Shocker is going into the round of the Hateful Eight. A shock to the shunt. The sh- Ooh, <laughs> oh I see what you did there. <laughs> so in the round of the Hateful Eight, we have Leviathan going up against Shocker. That's a shocker in itself. I think that could prove to be a very interesting battle. Um, and it's interesting because our next uh, kind of our transition, my little phrase here is going to sound something like more akin to a uh, beach blanket film. But from Dustin, we're going from Justin into the round of the uh, the Hateful Eight um, as we are going to be welcoming back Justin Beam. Mm-hmm. But first and foremost, Dustin Pryor, thank you so much, man, oh, for doing dude, this. I had a blast. This was, and I honestly, it was worth it enough just to watch Society with you both. <laughs> Thanks for all of the shine. Thanks. Yeah, you know, it's not, it's not quite seeing it in the theater, but it is seeing it that communal experience. It's enhanced in the theater, but it still works. You know, in the privacy of one's own home, as you probably should with a first time shunting. Yeah, exactly. Right. You don't want to take your shunting public. <laughs> so again, where can our listeners find you? Us, uh, Media Rewind, Media Rewind on Facebook and. And Media Rewind Pod on the Twitterverse. And then you can also find Genius and I through uh, BoomHowdy.com. Perfect, perfect. So again, thank you so much for doing that. Make sure you are checking out Media Rewind and their their journey into the Badlands as well, Walking Dead, and obviously in April, the Game of Thrones as well. So uh, we will be back here in the round of The Hateful Eight. And we are back. And as we go from the round of the Scream 16 into the round of the Hateful Eight, let us again thank Dustin from the Media Rewind podcast. Yep. Uh, you were invited to the next shunting, Dustin. <laughs> Bowtie optional. Uh, and let us all go ahead and close the door on both Deep Star Six and Pet Cemetery. Yeah. Don't, pet, pet Cemetery will be back. It will. Oh, yeah. What? Trust us. <laughs> yeah. <Dead> is better. <laughs> but as we are closing the door... We're opening a window. As as we are, and we're welcoming in a new guest, new guest, a new guest. Oh, man, the shunting. I'm still shaking off the right? effects of the shunting heavens, there. Heavens, heavens. But we have a new guest to help us see which film will go forward and represent 1989 in the round of the Frightful Four. Mm-hmm. And you know our next guest, and to say he has had a helping hand into some of our favorite Blu-ray, Blu-ray releases would be insulting. Right. A helping, a helping Haddonfield hand. Uh, oh, that's good. I like that. Uh, he is a director, a producer, an actor, and a podcaster. Please uh, welcome back to Nightmare Junkhead, Justin Beam. Guys, it's an honor. Please eliminate actor from that list. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will reserve that right until we get that link, and I'll let you just off the podcast. We'll say keep that out of context. 
It's an honor to be here, guys. Uh, thank, thank you so much for including me in this. Of thing. course, of course. We, we will always make time for you there. But before we get into, officially into the madness, please tell our listeners where can they find you out on the social media. Please plug and promote away. Thank you for that. Uh, you, anywhere on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Justin Beam, that's B-E-A-H-M. And I also have uh, justinbeam.com, which is where I post news and updates and things, as well as uh, I have some older articles that I've written for some magazines that I've scrounged up from the archives, things like that. So that's honestly probably the most direct route, but on all social media, just search for my name. Nice, nice. I like it when you can keep it consistent and simple. The last time we talked to you, it was at Halloween at Palooza. So what you been up to since then? Oh my God, that was... I remember we were talking a little bit about Silent Night, Deadly Night 2, mm-hmm. but we hadn't announced any of the features yet at that point. So it's, since then, it's been crazy. I had... Because that came out in December. I got... I did uh, Superstition, and I did Screamers. Oh! Screamers is out now. Yeah, I, Willard actually comes out tomorrow, <laughs> as of our recording here. Willard is out now <laughs> from, from Scream Factory, one of my all-time favorite films uh, starring Crispin Glover and a real dream project to be a part of, too. And I got some really unique features on that one. Like one of the commentaries, for example, I get brought in the guys who were the rat trainers. <laughs> yes. And they're, they're legit icons in the business. They've really, I mean, you name it, their names are on it. From Pirates of the Caribbean on through to, I mean, it's a dolphin's tail. These guys have done it all. <laughs> and the, and it, it blew me away that they've never been asked to be a part of anything like that before. So these, they walked in having done it all. And they, and they were like, so how does this work? And I'm like, oh god! So we're gonna. It was so charming in a way. We're gonna play the movie. Yeah. Do we have to listen to it? No, no, no. We'll just have a conversation. And so I was a little worried at that point. But once we started talking, not kidding, these guys are entertaining from wall to wall. So there's a lot of great stuff on this disc. Uh, Glenn Morgan, the director, spent a really long time with me, and I have an hour and a half just about long interview on there with him as a standalone, plus new commentaries and other stuff. So Willard. And we have um, The Brain. I just wrapped production on The Brain. You guys remember that film from 88? I remember the poster <laughs> well, actually. If nothing else, that, that poster and that, yep. that, yeah. VH, that videotape was omnipresent at, at stores everywhere, at the rental shops. So I just wrapped everything on The Brain. And once we unveiled the, the sheer volume of stuff, this, the extras on this, it's mind-boggling. I don't know how we ended up with so much, but... It worked out well, and I hope everyone loves that. That's available for pre-order now at shoutfactory.com. So I also have um, – stop me if I'm rambling, but I also have – No, you're have, actually just making me write a big right, like, wish list. Exactly. going, yep, I need that, and I need that. <laughs> I have uh, – there's, there's some other titles that haven't yet been announced that I'm working on now and have stuff uh, continuously rolling with those guys at Shout. But also I have the cover story on the new issue of Scream magazine out of the UK. I did this really extensive interview and retrospective uh, interview with Rob Zombie on Halloween 2 because this is the anniversary year of Halloween 2. And I've always treasured that film and I've been a staunch defender for a long time, I guess you could say. And I figured an anniversary was a great excuse to do a piece on it. And Rob and I dug really deep. I mean, it's a huge article. And I was so excited that Rich, the editor over at Scream Magazine, was not only willing to, he wanted the article, but then he surprised me by giving it the cover, which blew me away because that's the first time I've had the cover with them. 
and I sent it to Rob, and he was just as excited. Right away, he's throwing it on all the social media, and he's like, we got the cover on Screen Magazine. <laughs> like, Halloween 2, holy shit. Because it's one of these neglected films in sure. a lot of ways. And so we were both ple- pleasantly surprised by that. So look up Scream, the horror magazine, and you can track that down. And that'll be out uh, any actually any day now. Uh, that'll be on the stands at Barnes & Noble here in the States. Or you can order it from their website. Dude, you're busy as hell, but you're doing like some really awesome, cool things, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, I... Yeah, well, is there I'm a, so honored. Yeah. Is there a horror equivalent of that whole on the cover of the Rolling Stone? Like, is Rolling there, Stone yeah. gonna buy one copy for my mother. Well, like, <laughs> there needs to be a horror equivalent of that, and we need to put it in the background of this, actually. Or oh what? God. What? Not, uh, on the cover of the Fang Go. <laughs> yeah, there it is. yeah. But, I'm so happy they're back to better. But I got to tell you one thing. Much kudos and acclimates and everything to you, but Willard, fuck that movie, okay? Not because it's bad, but because, like, rats are, like, my trigger, you know? And so, like, I saw that movie and I was just be to the GB. You you said the word Willard, Willard and I just made this, like, oh, God, I just made this face, like... Uh, I was done with that movie when they ate the cat. I was like, okay, oh, I'm, yeah. I, I'm done. I'm done. It just it just gave me the hebeest. Oh, but, man, I challenge you then. I issue a challenge on this episode, and I, and I want to revisit this with you at some point. My challenge to you, <laughs> not only watch the film, but listen to the Rat, rat Trainer yes, commentary. See, and also, that's, those guys... <laughs> those guys that's the thing when you're like i talked to the rat trainer i was like fuck all that noise <laughs> <laughs> they even gave me he found that the lead guy he found all this training footage that they had taken oh. back then like little tiny clips on their phone so like a minute two minutes 30 seconds of them working with the rats to nibble on things to and, and you no. and, and i compiled all of this into one standalone piece it's like maybe 13 minutes long or so with just score running under it, but it, it shows all this great training footage, including some things that were cut out of the film in the end. Like there's one where the rat burrows through the chest cavity oh. and comes out the other side. And See, you're that's worse. That's worse. Not only, not only that, but smart rats, <laughs> dude. That's They're so not, smart. That's... They're so smart. And I had interviewed Crispin years years prior for Fangoria. And, and it, the art, in fact, he and I talked for like four and a half hours Good Lord. and it ran over two issues because it was so gigantic. And it was one of my all time favorite conversations that I've ever had. And he was supposed to be a part of this, but I'm not kidding you. He's buying a castle in Czech, in the Czech Republic right now. And so he was over there on this real estate deal. It's there's <laughs> there's so many stories behind the making of this thing. I'm actually going to do a whole episode of my show all about it. But when I was talking to him years ago for Fango back in like, I don't know, 09 or something, he told me about Willard that the rats are his favorite co-stars he's ever had. I can. I, you know what? And I, I was just thinking about it. I would, the next guest you need to have on the Justin Beam Radio Hour are some of the rats and do like a rat retrospective. Oh, they were alive. I would love it. When, when I found out that Scream was doing Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the beginning, mm-hmm. I, I pitched it and I, I said, I want to do it. And I want to do a commentary with Matthew McConaughey's robot leg. Just, 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 just me and the grunting, hissing, mechanical sounds of a robot leg sitting across the room from me, as though it's responding to me. Well, sure, and of course, as it would. Shout real quick, you're fucking no. <laughs> you know what? At least you threw it out there. You can never say you didn't take that shot. I tried. At least it's not like a commentary with the rats from Ben from Willard. 
Like I, could... I would love to do that, but that was my whole thing. It's like this movie. This movie is two things, right? The main two elements in this film are Crispin and the rats. Yeah. Yeah. And Crispin, there's actually a ported over commentary, so he's part of it. Because there were a lot of special features, strangely enough, on the original New Line release that we brought over. But so he's there. But I'm like, no one can speak. Oh yeah, these guys can speak to the rats, and their stories are fascinating. And we don't just talk about Willard. We don't just talk about rats. We get into stories of all kinds of different film and television that they've been a part of. Animals that are fun to work with. Animals that are a nightmare. And the way they train them and their love for animals. As someone, for me, I'm a, a lifelong vegetarian. And uh, it's just so neat to to be with these guys who have ha- worked with just about every species you could put into film and on to Willard and the hundreds of rats that they were herding for this film and how they got them to do what they do. So fascinating. So, And I've never thought I would be sold on a rat wrangler like commentary. <laughs> <Like that. laughs> when they announced the extras, half, half of the posts were like, what? What? <laughs> And I'm like, no, 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 no. Just it's like, give it a shot. Give it a shot. Oh, that is brilliant. That is brilliant. Well, I mean, they have to have great stories, you know, yeah. especially with doing what they do. That's Well, I think it's the people on the periphery and especially people in like niche areas. Of course, they're going to have good stories because, man, they everyone has to come to them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they get yeah. to work with everyone. Yeah. Um, but I do want to transition into your podcast here because I recently listened to the last episode as it just came out here last week. And even the guest that you had, and I will say this. If any of you, we never talked and did an official episode about the Greasy Strangler. Oh, I, yet. Yeah, yet. 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 Yeah. yet. And, and Genius, is that one that you've seen? Mm-hmm. I've, I, I've seen that. Okay, have you? Yeah, no, no, uh, I haven't. Oh, I, I but don't, I've heard of it. I heard of it. I heard like, I don't, I don't know if I'm ready for it. Well, I'll just say this: if you if you need to get a little bit of a filler, you can listen to the the last episode of the podcast because uh, Justin, you interviewed Michael St. Michael's, and that was a movie I can definitely say safely say I experienced. I mean, it's <laughs> gross, and so what? You know, tell us a little bit about the podcast. Um, oh my god! I just you know, let's delve into it greasy style here. Let's you know, let's get yeah, yeah. Stuff. Well, okay, we'll speak to greasy in a second. The podcast <laughs> started a couple years ago for me, and the original idea was. I've been interviewing these people forever for magazines and things, and people have to buy back issues to track those down, which I don't know that people are buying very many of those anymore. I mean, they're out there, and I, and I know that there's certainly a collector's market, which is amazing, and I continue to write for the magazines. In fact, I'm kind of a dinosaur in that I've never had an online home to write for, <laughs> so I thought, why not transition this, these interviews into a show that can be preserved, that can be streamed and whatnot, because the podcast thing is obviously easier than ever now to put, not that it's easy to do, but it's easier than ever to have the means to mm-hmm. put something out there and hand the world, right? So I decided to keep, you know, bring the show back. And I started with, because I only got through seven episodes the f- first time, the first run that I had. It was either six or seven episodes the first time. I can't remember. Yeah, seven. And then I came back with Alan Howarth from the Halloween mm-hmm. franchise as my first return guest. And that was in December of last year and since then i've just just kept it rolling i have eric freeman on there it was a uh, who's the star of course of silent night 2 <laughs> and that came out right around the time of the release of that disc and then i had my buddies brian woods and scott beck who are, are iowa guys we used to make stuff shoot stuff together when we were younger and they're now they're the producers of a quiet place and they also wrote that film and so I had the producers and writers. So I had Brian and Scott on, and then Dwight Little. Yep. 
after yep. that, Halloween 4, Phantom of the Opera. Rapid Fire, it. baby. Oh, my God, man. And then <laughs> Michael St. Michael's, when I – when I came across Greasy Strangler, it was actually Mike Mike Saunders' fault, <laughs> <laughs> which will shock no one who, who knows Mike. Damn those but, Attack of the Killer podcast people, podcast, yeah, G O G. And he and uh, actually Jason had come to stay over, and they uh, it's, we always like to stay up and watch movies, talk shop whenever we get together, and they're like, "You've got to see this." <laughs> and, I, and they and they just and I'm like, what is it? They're like, we're not going to say anything. Oh, just, even Mike better. just hit Mike just hit play, and this movie transports you. You say an experience. It really is. It's like you you move into this world and you and you basically reside in it because you have to buy into all of it from the beginning. And it's so sincere from front to back. But Michael St. Michael's is the lead in the film. For those who haven't seen it, Big Ronnie, and he's a <laughs> disco dancing, rope shooting. Uh, son of a gun and he's just as wonderful in real life and strange and hilarious as he is in the movie so it was a real treat to have him on there for that last episode well it's good to have the 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 episodes coming back because like i said for me it's all about if there's multiple hosts they need to have good chemistry but if it's you know kind of a singular thing it just needs to be well written well thought out and man i always get that in, in droves with that so thank you for coming back thank into you. the rotation no that's again thank you it's a i am again the socially awkward introvert that i am the amount of dog walking i do with lola i need all the podcasts i can get so <laughs> when i can get good ones as well boom i'm in i'm in in for the win in for the win oh i've always been concerned about the me by myself thing and that was i mean when i did the first run of shows it was a little drier then. I was because when I'm having these conversations with people for a magazine, it's really laid back and conversational. Not that the show isn't, sure. but there it that instantly becomes there's an element of some kind of formal something there that I was worried about. I don't know. I'm glad I appreciate your feedback on that. I'm always <laughs> very hungry for feedback on the show because I'm still very much feeling my way around in the dark on it and getting my mix down and had to switch equipment and stuff. So oh. it's a, a work in progress. Here. Oh, yeah, you. we're 150 some odd episodes in. We're still, we're still kind of feeling learning. our ways. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You guys are great. You're, you, and I've commented to so many people what a well-oiled machine the two of you are. That's... How you back, you know, the way that you don't step on each other. And your back and forth is brilliant. So I love you guys. A lot of editing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually the Sally Minky here of the relationship. You know, everything <laughs> flows well because of that editing there. Uh, um, so from Dustin to Justin, which let's face it, it does sound like some sort of beach party massacre slasher <laughs> flick here. Uh, we are delving back into the, uh, the Mouth of Madness. The round of the Hateful Eight here, we have two films going up against each other. And yep. 89 actually looking back at it in the first round we really actually had a pretty good round i i realize i've been talking a little smack on 89 a little but there's actually some solid stuff Dude, here. there's been some heavy hitters i mean we've had icons and we've had like not only just icons in the horror genre but some iconic films too so i think everybody was well represented but alas we can only have two yeah then only one is going to go into the round of the frightful four and we have a creature feature going up against kind of a a meta slasher pseudo slasher the pseudo slasher leviathan and shocker uh justin which one shall we talk about first <laughs> let me let's go let's go with leviathan first 
And I, and I also want to note that 1989 actually had some, some – it was a sort of the year of the Misfit franchise entry. I don't, I don't know if you guys have covered this in your previous discussion already, so stop. Have you oh, already? No, no we did, I mean, we did some honorable mentions, but there were so many. I just like the term Misfit franchise. Who's ever heard of a pinker in the box? <laughs> it really is because at this point you had – this is when Jason Takes Manhattan came out, mm-hmm. which was until – Jason Goes to Hell, the most maligned entry in that franchise. But I love Jason Goes, or Jason Takes Manhattan. I really adore that film. Halloween Five came out, mm-hmm. which until Resurrection was the redheaded stepchild, in many ways of the Michael Myers cycle, at least. Nightmare on Elm Street, also Five, Dream Child, also heavily criticized. So Sleepaway Camp was on to Part Three, shot back to back with Part Two, and is really kind of just feels, I don't know. I like Part Three. I treasure part two. <laughs> I love part one. But part three does kind of feel like like the toilet paper on the floor a little bit. Like, oh, yeah, there's, like, I guess there is more. So that's, that was always my thought on part three. It's, but, it, well, and I will say this. It, those Springsteens. Well, that and it's the, the Michael J. Pollard scene is so <laughs> weird. It is. It's creepy. It, and, so creepy. Okay, good. I'm glad I threw that out there to see if it stuck because apparently it does because it is that nasty. <laughs> but continue on there with the franchise uh, sequels there. Well, it was it was a real moment of transition. I know yeah. we're going to get into the year in general here, but 1989 was a really interesting place for horror in general. I think that the genre was in a moment of transition at that time, and so it's I don't. In a way, it's apropos that we would have Shocker versus Leviathan here because it's kind of a snapshot of the crazy shit that was happening at the time. It really was. It was a, it was a wild year for film. And two movies, neither of which I would have thought would have ended up in any kind of final round for that year. <laughs> but here we are. So my vote, with a very long answer, Leviathan. <laughs> To start with. To start with. Okay, let's do it. Um, so that being said, in 1989, do you remember your initial experience with this little underwater creature feature? I do not. I think I saw it years later. Mm-hmm. And it would have been during one of my themed video rental binges <laughs> that I used to do. So I'd be like, oh, let's do let's do water movies. And then we get Leviathan and Deep Six and <laughs> whatever else was, you know. And Shocker, oh, I guess we'll get to that later. But Leviathan, um, it was a, a few years later that I saw it, and I remembered not really caring for it. That's about the extent of what I remember. I remember Peter Weller was in it, and I didn't really care for it. And for this show, though, I have revisited it. I was going to say, what was the experience then revisiting it? I don't really care for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what, what it was sold as, in a way, was kind of like, Aliens underwater, alien underwater, but really it's more like, it's like the thing directed by some, well, it's like, it's like a, like a high school play version of the thing, but with a bunch of tech. So it's like if the AV club made a movie and they were trying to ape the thing and they were shooting it underwater somehow. Terrible analogy, but the bottom line is that it's it's just a movie that really it 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 feels twice as long as it is, and as much as I love Peter Weller, I just could never, I just couldn't plug into it. I don't know. It, it, there were a couple cool moments that we'll get to, but oh. I just I don't know. What, what were your thoughts, guys? Oh no, I damn I'm... you had like so. 
Dustin on the last round came out the gate was like, Man, society's some bullshit, right? And then you came out the gate like, I do not care for Leviathan. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> wow, okay, cool. I I think the movie did kind of work on the underwater thing aspect. I really enjoyed like the tension and the creature that it built. Plus, I think what elevated it, especially against, and we talked about this on the on the, some of the selection, what elevated it against on some of the other other water monsters was the cast. And like I remember seeing this movie too, and like yeah, and like it was okay, but it wasn't until later on when I was like I could I guess appreciate. Peter Weller and Michael Crana and I was like, oh, there's Daniel Stern. He survived the Chuds, you know. So like, <laughs> and he's underwater, so he's a really wet bandit. And I, I think it was the cast that like really gave it a good punch. And for me, I, I actually kind of like the analogy of a high school play because now I'm thinking <laughs> like Peter Weller is that that one steely faced jock that you know you don't want, you want to dislike him but he turns out he's just really cool <laughs> and like you can't you like him despise yourself you're like oh god damn it Peter Weller um, but for me it's the it's the work of Stan Winston um, you only get glimpse and pieces of the the creature which I understand it was probably by design mm-hmm. but even going beyond looking at the uh, the design of the suits themselves were pretty cool and that's it was pretty cool yeah this is that's just it though it was gross but it, what it needs to be for me it needs to be what it is and that's just a, it's a monster movie but like you said for me genius for you genius it's i and i'll add some emphasis to the cast though kind of elevates it for me but it can only go so far uh justin you said so there's a couple set pieces that kind of stood out for you what were you thinking on those well first of all i want to let's talk about six pack Oh, come on now. We need to begin by addressing the fact that he is, I mean... Despicable? Well, he's intentionally so, but (laughs) the the script for this thing is insufferable. I think that the script may be the worst part. I agree with you. Like, the production value on it, it really is, it feels huge. It feels big. The suits that they're in are spacesuits, granted, but still very <laughs> cool, very elaborate. And the the way the the mechanism to pull them out of the water, um, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel inexpensive or anything. It doesn't feel like a small film. It feels like a pretty big one. But then, and you're met with this script, and and, and six pack. It, it's just joke after joke, and it's not just him. But it really is mostly him. It's just nothing but boob jokes, and it's just a bunch of like harassment of the women oh, yeah. that are involved here. He's absolutely insufferable, and uh, I, I just I, it it was to the point where I was like, God, just kill him. I, I don't I don't care. And I had forgotten so much about this movie because I hadn't seen it since I was probably twelve. But I just was praying for the moment when he would die, and I'm glad <laughs> when he did, he went out in style. He did yeah, go he went out ooey gooey. Well, I realize yeah. at this point now they could have really gone a whole different direction here if they would have made like Meg Foster's character like head of HR, and they're actually complaining about Six Pack the entire time. Like, well, we'd get rid of him, but we've got this storm up here, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe the Leviathan uh, itself will just. There's two monsters on this ship. <laughs> <laughs> it's like well, every joke in this film, and there are many of them, folks. If this... you haven't watched Leviathan, is either based on gender race or, or or anatomy those are the three elements in in all of the humor from front to back in the film and it's not just jokes either it's like things are just said like just don't don't call me cracker 
Do you think they You're were like, trying to go for? Just, huh? Do you think they were trying to maybe trying to capture some of that aliens vibe and chemistry? Probably. I mean, they're probably trying to make it like. Well, we're. I, I'm not sure who wrote this. Actually, it looks like there is a team of people. So <laughs> kudos to them for for really putting their their noses to the grindstone to create a masterpiece here. But they. Maybe we're thinking this is what working people are like, or no. I don't know. I, I really have no clue. But just because someone, I don't, it's just so basic how they approached each these characters. Like, oh, it's a woman. Let's talk about her tits. Oh, it's a African American guy. He has to comment on that, and he has to talk to white people about the fact that they're white. And so that alone was just really cumbersome and irritating to me. And um, they call it the shack. Yeah. It's this big facility it's... underwater that's doing that's mining it's... silver and doing this stuff, and they're like, and even up to the top, you mentioned Meg Meg Foster's character. Well, you guys in the shack, it's like, what is this? And this again goes back to the high school play analogy. Like, hey guys, it's... remember that remember that little thing we found out in the woods back that had all those porno magazines stashed in it? The, love it the shack. shack. So this is the the booty shack. Is that what you said? The love shack, but I guess the, the booty shack. shack works too. Anyway, <laughs> from from underwater masterpiece monster into the booty shack. I'd go see an underwater <laughs> booty shack. <laughs> that would be better. As I say, not a deal breaker, is it? There, no, genius. No, it's not. Not a deal breaker. But even if you have to turn into like this weird creature thing, so well, and I can definitely understand the argument against that because let's face it, a lot of these films, when you break it down, another time, another place, uh, especially in '89, but. It's interesting, though, you talked a little bit about, and we'll go into it when we get into our criteria, but kind of the transition that we are feeling and seeing in some of the films. But yet in some of the other ones, though, they still feel straight plucked from like early 80s where you do find we always say it's like the casual homophobia, the casual racism, the casual sexism that it just it plagues a lot of those 80s films. And it always is a little bit weird. Then, And like even when we rewatched uh, like Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah. Of all films, like recontext, not even re, and like, this isn't recontextualizing. Still it, yeah. <laughs> but you look oh, back yeah. at a lot of these things, and you're just like, oh my god! But again, they are just kind of breaking them down to a basic stereotype or character type, which ultimately is just fodder for the canon as it is. And ultimately, and I guess in this case, you don't necessarily grow to, to attach to them, and ultimately are kind of rooting for them to die. Maybe that's the point, I suppose. Right? <laughs> like we don't. I don't know. It, and and I, even Peter Weller is pretty one note in this. And I love Buckaroo Banzai. I that's one of my all time favorite movies, and he is Buckaroo Banzai. Have you guys seen that movie? Oh, yeah, we oh. did a we did a movie night on yes, it. We have. Yeah, that's <laughs> great, great, great. I love it's such a it's a, but I love weird things like that that are so specific to their universe. Like we talked about Greasy Strangler, it plays by similar rules. Like mm-hmm. here it is. It, you you either going to invest yourself or you're going to hate us. Here it is, and. This felt more a little bit like, uh, I don't know. I there wasn't what I kept yearning for was the creature. Did you find that to be the case as well? Yeah. Oh yeah. Especially oh, yeah. and like I said, I you know, and I think we haven't even mentioned the fact that this is George P. Cosmatos, and he's not. I'm not going to say notorious, but there's always been those things where he wasn't necessarily a. I'm not going again. I don't want to sound negative. He was the nicest. Well, not even that. Like like when on Tombstone, they said like Kurt Russell ghost directed a lot of it. Uh, Cobra, Stallone ghost directed a lot of it. Like He's one of those guys that he would let stronger personalities take over, and then if he didn't, then he was a little bit more aggressive. So I wonder if that's one of the cases here where maybe 
you know, Weller or Hudson or someone wasn't, you know, necessarily up to that ilk. But I'm kind of curious on that because that's what I've always heard about Cosmatos. And again, Mm -hmm. I don't want it to sound negative, but again, going back to some of the special features and stuff, you know, you always hear those kind of like um, stories. And I'm sorry. I mean, you talk about negativity. I'm sorry if I've if I've done no, this, no, the no, show no, a disservice by my no, feelings no, about this film here. No, um, no, it's all that's, no. That's it's, the thing. No, yeah, that's. I'm just like I said. I because I, like the, I love Leviathan. I love Cobra. I love First Blood Part Two. I love Cosmatos. But I always hear those. It's. But you always talk about. You said you yearned for the monster, and the monster I think made another part of this movie because it was very thing like and it was very ooey and gooey and so i think like one another thing the monster like you said yourself the monster was another show-stopping piece at least for me because you could do all sorts of weird shit but it had no form so it it was just it was until the end just kind of a big amalgamation kind of it was like it's a tentacle here it's a thing it's an eel there it's a it's like all these different things and and so it made it hard to define what I was to be afraid of in it, if that makes sense. The, the fear for me was more about, honestly, them being abandoned down there. That's what created the tension for me. The concept of which they eventually got to in the storyline of, wait a minute, you're leaving us here? Wait a minute, you're not going to come get us? And this whole bullshit about the storm and all that, that was the tension for me. It, it was like in Night of the Living Dead in some ways, where... Yeah it's technically a film about these ghouls, right? But the pressure cooker is the, is the house Mm -hmm. and it's because of this asshole in the basement that things get out of control in that house. It's really not because of what's happening outside, although that's putting an intense amount of, you know, a fear into everyone and absolute confusion. It's this creep that's really making (laughs) it terrible. And it was Meg Foster in this film. And the idea that these people would be abandoned down there after seeing what happened with that Soviet ship that was left down there and you just think, my God, like that's what made it feel all of a sudden a little spooky and claustrophobic and scary proving once again, that man is always the ultimate evil. Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But if you don't necessarily have a strong enough script or characters that you care about, I'm going to say you said that monster didn't scare you, but I'm telling you, I don't want to get absorbed (laughs) into something. You know what I'm saying? Especially after a night of drinking, you already, you already don't feel good. And then next thing you know, just like you get like, just sucked into this creature. (laughs) And that's a gnarly ass shit. Well, that was the cool thing about Six Pack dying is that when he's laying there and he's like, like when um, Ernie Hudson's character, uh, Justin, walks in the room and he he's talking to him like, oh, I'm sorry, man. You go back to sleep. No, no, no worries. Because he sees him roll over. Really? You realize at this point that Six Pack has been dead for a while and mm-hmm. they're just hiding it. And you see that movement. You're like, wait, what is happening here? And I love the idea of his body just becoming this total mutant where he he's becoming gelatin and misshapen and it's not attempting to really be much of anything it's just kind of growing and sporing with him in him i guess i i thought that was really cool so the the idea of what the monster was doing to people and how it was affecting them and then resulting in crazy stuff like uh what's her name suicide just because she oh no i'm infected and so instead of going through the nightmares she just slits her wrist in the shower but then I was she's like, whoa, she still gets absorbed anyway. She still so. gets absorbed anyway. And then she's a part of this thing they're trying to carry in the bag and conceal. 
what is it? What is it? As they're trying to lower it down. So these are the little moments I was talking about, like where there's spikes of awesomeness within a, a sea of general kind of... Uh, <laughs> spikes of Austin in, in a sea of man. I like yeah. that. I like that. Well, I'm um I need to check out the Screamers disc cuz I haven't seen Screamers in a while. That's the one with the little things under the sand. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. I I saw that in the theater, but I have not seen it since. And well, interestingly enough, Peter Weller has a weird pedigree when it comes to these kind of sci-fi films cuz you know, he's in one of the all-time greats yeah. with RoboCop. Uh, and, and we're definitely we're true blue blazers on this end with a buckaroo bonsai but then you get that next level and it's like uh with leviathan i screamers. dug it i dug it and i dug screamers too and it's, <laughs> i dug the shit out of them so um we know what you're thinking about leviathan let's go ahead and talk about what your thoughts on shocker Sh- wait shocker yeah it's gonna say do it right now come on dudes of wrath would uh would be smiling shocker my my buddy, my best friend Jake, he has two favorite movies, and they are Jason Lives and Shocker. He has both of their posters in his house, and he just absolutely adores both movies. And it's been a long time since I've seen Shocker. Um, Wes Craven, of course, everybody, mm-hmm. who, who directed the film. And my memory of it was a lot different than the reality of watching it again. Ah. I, it, it it was interesting that I had a very different recollection of a lot of the elements of this movie, and then in watching it, um, I, I I honestly forgotten how wild it gets, yeah, and, and and how out there it is, and the technology that's ingrained in the storytelling with it, how it was used in my child's mind, which is the last time I had seen it, was very different than what it actually was in the movie <laughs> itself. So, uh, it was it was another experience of like. Oh, okay. Again, we eighty nine was a weird year, um, especially that we are talking these two. This one, this is one that I I think I definitely remember it a little bit more fondly. Um, many a reasons. Um, first and foremost is my just general fear of Horace Pinker. I He's think scary as shit. He is before yeah. he gets into pure Looney Tunes or you know, beaming into your home. He legitimately scares me even to this day. I think it's a lot of the delivery, the physicality, um, you know, just before he trans transitions into full on. Are you ready, baby? You know, <laughs> hey, all, all of that. But no, I, I, and I know you, you mentioned Wes Craven and this is for a lot of people. This is kind of the, le- some people consider lesser Craven and, I'm not one of those people. Uh-uh. I am I'm a, calling shenanigans. It's greater craving. I, I am a bigger fan of this film, I think, than most. And a lot of it has to do with I saw it so often either on the VHS rental or on this was this was kind of a staple on like USA Up All Night. Um, so I would see it edited and unedited and a sharp contrast between the two because, you know, Horace is pretty, pretty gnarly for many things. Uh, but no, this is one I definitely hold her a little bit nearer and dearer to my heart. I think it can it can be seen as in a way a culmination or maybe even a hybrid of all the things that Wes has done. Because think about the elements that it contains from all these different films going all the way back to the very beginning uh, of of his career. Because you have there's the dream as there's a dream aspect to this first of all, mm-hmm. yeah. Which of course he mastered. He also a lot of people look at Scream and they say this. Oh man, that was really this groundbreaking meta approach to filmmaking well that really began here 
with with Shocker in some ways, and dating back to Nightmare on Elm Street too, where he's playing with media and reality versus not. But the brutality of Pinker, you could look back because he's so gritty and horrible. How is that not an echo of Last House on the Left? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can look at sort of the greatest hits here in a way. He even looks a little bit, if you're thinking about Hills Have Eyes, there's even uh, a, little, uh, you know, although a little bit of Michael Berry. Yeah, a little Pluto you know, action, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So in a way, I've always thought of it as a bit of a huh. Wes Craven mixtape where you have the greatest hits crammed into one. And I, I think that he's so scary. And there are the scenes with the family, like just at the beginning. Yes. Yeah. Where he's got the... the and she's screaming and the the kids right there and he's so unflinchingly horrible and they take this does the unusual thing of setting this story up for so long before he becomes the thing that the movie's named after i think yeah, it goes into like a, there's almost like 40 minutes before he's actually yeah. Even executed yeah. yeah right right and so you really really grow to hate him <laughs> yeah, this is... and, and it's almost like a reaction to how much people had embraced freddy because if you think about the nightmare on elm street franchise by part five freddy was andrew dice clay he was he's cracking jokes he's licking ladies faces he's whatever it's i Little love the franchise Muffet, Muffet. <laughs> <laughs> it becomes this other thing and so how do we take that back how do we how do we pull this back into a realm that's going to be crazy and adventurous, but also really dark? Is that you you give this to Mitch Pileggi, <laughs> yeah, and you and you create Horace Pinker, who is an absolute real life nightmare. And I think it's appropriate too. I know some people have said this was kind of Wes Craven's also response to the fact that creating something maybe new potentially for because like you said we're transitioning now mm-hmm. 89 they're trying to capture a lot of stuff being a little bit more forward thinking um so i don't necessarily think horace pinker is a freddie surrogate but he was terrifying his motives were he wanted to be beamed across tv so he can go to anybody's house and kill him just fuck him up and that's some terrifying shit especially with the shows that i watch <laughs> having Horace Pinker come out and scare me because he like we said earlier he is legitimately terrifying when he turns around what are you looking at kid and I'm like even I went woo woo he, th- he thrives on chaos right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, he, he really does and and not I mean most of the of the mad men or creatures in these films have a point of origin that they lean on at some point oh he would drown in the lake while they were making love or whatever it might be. But here, this guy's just the worst. He's just mm-hmm. a piece of garbage. And their, the reveal about him being the dad mm-hmm. during the execution was something that was so out of left field. And it adds this really sinister, almost cruel layer to a movie that already has so much heartbreak. Because you think about the mom and the daughters Ooh. dying. Ooh. You think about his girlfriend dying. <laughs> And then he's got to sit there as this guy's being fried and find out it's his dad. Right. That it's dude like, been, oh. He had a bad day, man. <laughs> he had a bad day. Yeah, yeah well, it's, you know, Craven can do pathos really interestingly. 
Um, and that's what you, he does. He definitely paints that in this film. It's but it's so interesting because you have this very scary, menacing Horace Pinker, and then you have little girls cussing <laughs> and John yeah. Tesh getting fucked with and like cartoons and it just turns when in, he becomes a plane and he's shooting bullets out of his shoulders and he becomes the atomic bomb yeah. but i love no, that i love I, that aspect it was like it went it went from dark to cartoon super fucking quick like somebody changed the channel well, yeah yeah appropriately yeah. as it is <laughs> now you couldn't change the channel with Horace Pinker he's going to follow you along regardless no i don't know um I think I know for some people when it takes that turn, it does. Some people are turned off by it. And again, I understand if that happens. But for me, like you said, I embraced it. Come on, you fucker. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You got to go for the ride. It's because it's fun that way, because at this point you need that kind of cathartic release. You know, you're going to have more fun at this point because then it's 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 does itself justice by setting up its own rules but then it just goes so weird from there i mean because then you have true love's pendant that will stop him <laughs> you have like if you, the remote controls can work you know which i thought was brilliant which i thought if you had a guy in tv why wouldn't you like you know fucking and fast forward and rewind and pause and unpause one two three red light you know and so like it just goes from series to mad capery and it just so many levels of pinker but like i said there's a lot to like with this film and i'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the soundtrack because for me and you know what i even have it queued up here because (laughs) Uh, here it is Yeah, it's it's beyond metal. All I can see now are the skulls, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's atmospheric, and that's just the beginning. It doesn't even, you know, we it goes into Megadeth. Um, and, and as a metal fan, I friggin' love it, love it to this day. Justin, are you hot on this album? My God, it's like a who's who <laughs> at the time of of the of the all these metal bands. It's fantastic, and and the power band that was put together. Ah, the, what was it, the dudes, the dudes of wrath of, the dudes of wrath they were i mean you got alice cooper I, I, just look up the lineup of this thing it's insane so this is like pre hollywood vampires pre all the rest of this stuff you got this like super group that did one thing and it was songs for this album and i so appreciate that it's one of the all-time great metal movies for sure it really and that's what i always like to be able to include it as a heavy metal horror flick uh and the fact that i believe it's alice cooper's i think it was either his guitarist or bass player that was that big burly construction worker that got possessed oh, yeah that's right before the little girl the little girl yes so there's and that's what's funny there's always the there's always got to be a, like an Alice Cooper connection somehow in your horror film <laughs> right for it to be like legitimate um final thoughts here on shocker before we start showing our work and see which of these two films will move forward here I, I think that shocker is in, a, in many ways it speaks perfectly for 1989 and I think that it offers enough effects enough play enough of a sinister side a bit of a let's build on this. I, I could easily imagine this becoming a franchise film. Yes. Yeah. So it really seems very much of that moment in horror when we had the the creature effects boom of like 1988, 
for example, was really the year when things started to go huge with the creature effects through the franchises that were trying to figure out what to do. And then this comes out in the middle of all that. It was a really interesting transition time, like we've said over and over, that maybe is spoken to with the clearest voice in Shocker just because it's such a so many elements coming together at once. So when it comes down to the round of the Hateful Eight, we have two criteria that we're going to show our work here as it is. Mm -hmm. And the first thing we're going to do, and this is where it gets a very subjective, but I pose it to both of you and myself included to create um, a definition or kind of an aesthetic of what horror was in the year of 1989. And then based on that definition, which of the two films fit it a little bit better? So genius, Justin, who would like to go first on that? Guest first. Guest first. Okay, Justin, we'll put that out to you. Uh, I feel like I, I stepped on the on your toes with that answer I just gave a second ago. So sorry about that. No, you're all good, uh, man. But ahead of the schedule. But I think that if you look at all things considered, I think Leviathan is more of a derivative film, and I think that Shocker is 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 more on the kind of inventive side and I think it it, it it is of the two the one that speaks to 1989 in the clearest way which is it's a it's kind of the wild west in horror at this point again there's no dominant trend the franchises are still you know rolling but in terms of where the genre as a whole is it's because of the effects getting so much better so much bigger and because of a lot of these young, younger filmmakers being accepted into the studio system and, and into the indep- larger independence, it really was an exciting time, not just in horror, but I think horror was bleeding into things like action films at this time, too. So it, in some ways, it was general cinema culture accepting horror at this time, while horror was having a bit of an ident- identity crisis of its own. I would say with that definition, I would say shocker is the one that speaks to that clearer than Leviathan. Shaka! <laughs> Genius. <clears throat> okay, so when I think of 80s like aesthetic, right? Especially in horror. If you say 80s horror, the first thing my mind goes to, and I'm sure a lot of people do too, is like the slashers of like the 80s. The heyday. Yeah. You know, the heyday of slashers. And the most slashery franchise that never got its franchise is Shocker. So, and I think with Leviathan, that movie, I loved Leviathan, especially the, the look of it and the whole claustrophobic of aspect of it, but that could be in the 70s, that could be in the, the future, that could be in any time period, but Shocker is the most 89-est of 89. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, like... Even the of, checkerboard across his jumpsuit yep. is mm-hmm. like, that's, 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 how, that's a pair of vans. MTV <laughs> references, John Tesh. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plus, anytime you can have a cussing little girl, only in the 80s. So I think, yeah, yeah, and, and once again, heavy metal. That is 100% 80s. Right. So I'm going to go Shocker. Another vote for Shocker. So my, looking at this, I kind of looked at the totality of, 80, of 89, but I also, we've hearkened back, I think throughout, and we're going to probably hear this throughout the entirety of the this uh, bracket, but of tr- transitioning. Um, but also kind of the more things change, the more things say the same. Right. And for me, there's kind of a homogenization of horror at this point. Um, and I, I take then both examples here because with shocker, 
ultimately, like we said, it was kind of a response to Freddy in many ways. Um, and it's a shame we didn't get a franchise out of it. And with like Leviathan, I mean, hell, we had Deep Star Six. We had the Abyss. You know, you had so many more things of that ilk in the same year. So again, you had these really weird competing things. But ultimately, because the fact that I still want a franchise from Shocker, <laughs> maybe if we get a remake of somehow, because a remake, I think, could very be very interesting in this day and age, especially with the whole technology boon. Yeah. And we could still get yeah. Horace Pinker. I, I, oh, I mean, yeah. still and get Pelleggi. Think, oh, absolutely. And just think about how, how terrifying, you know, Horace Pinker in the Internet is. You know, Ooh. when he was that whole thing, I'm going worldwide, you know, at this point. Oh, shit, dude, I talked about some of the movies that I saw. I can't even imagine if Horace Pinker comes out of the websites that I go to. <laughs> Holy shit. He may not make it out alive, actually. <laughs> but would he, yeah, he, would he trump the content? Yeah. <laughs> he'd be looking at, he'd be judging you like, seriously? Yeah, and you're fucked up, dude. Like, he just goes off to another... <laughs> Time to go surfing. And then you like see him like, yeah, I can see that. Oh, my goodness. So our next criteria little bit that we're looking at here is we are talking and this whole tournament is all about celebrating horror films that have reached certain milestones. And we're talking about films now that are 30 years old. So the question is. God forbid, if we're doing a into the mouth of March madness, you know, how many 30 years from now of these two films, Leviathan and Shocker, which are we still talking about 30 years from now? 30 years from now, if one of these is referenced, it's most certainly going to be Shocker. <laughs> and I think that genius, you hit on it with it being it. It has the look. It has all the aesthetics of 1989 and Leviathan isn't unique enough to stand out from other underwater catastrophe monster movies in my mind. I think it's 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 pretty cool. It has some neat moments, but it most certainly I mean it's in the middle of the pack of these types of films whereas Shocker in a way is singular and just like Back to the Future speaks to it's you know the the moment it was made. I think Shocker does that for 1989 and when people look back they like to look back at with a more generalized view of eras you know what i mean we think of the 50s we think of the cars with the fins we think of this the the slick back hair it's like all these things that are kind of stereotypes now and in many ways shocker is it's the perfect stew of everything 1989 that is perfect that's eloquently spoken there Mm -hmm. go ahead and follow that genius okay (laughs) i want to harken back on what you kind of you said um at the time, there were other other underwater monster movies. But Shocker, while Leviathan, I think, is still a very fucking cool movie, and I enjoy the shit out of it, I would rather watch Shocker. Because, like we like you said, there are other water monster movies at that same fucking year. Okay? So, but Shocker still, to this day, is that unique, weird mix of humor and dark scary tones and a and a, a villain that can be both hilarious and terrifying both at the same time which what freddie was in part three you know so i think we're still going to be talking about shocker especially in the the franchise that never was category yeah that's a shame that's a shame um two words for my answer Wes craven yeah, I mean, and yeah. I will say this even going further than that with this film shocker and people under the stairs for me, this is kind of like when Carpenter had Prince of Darkness and they live kind of like mm. almost that like punk rock period 
to me, this is again, this is kind of um, Craven a little bit off kilter. This is him in between Nightmare and Scream. It's that little period that I think when you go back 30 years from now, they're going to go, man, that's that's that undiscovered the Wes Craven film that people don't talk about. Yeah. Now, how long it takes him to get to Swamp Thing, we'll figure it out. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I think ultimately it is. I mean, this is Wes Craven. Yeah. This is the man that defined you know helped define horror in the seventies, eighties, and nineties. He is on the the Mount Rushmore of horror. He's just an iconic filmmaker, and it's it's kind of cool. I, I you know what? I hope thirty years from now people are still discovering Shaka. Yeah, because how cool will that be? Yeah. You know, I mean, again, wherever horror will be 30 years from now, who knows? But mm-hmm. I definitely think this is something they will go into. And holy smokes, man, um, by a count of six to nothing. Wow, that's a clean sweep. <laughs> Shocker has paused, muted and deleted Leviathan as one does and is ra- is going into the round and is the representative representative of 1989 and the frightful for holy smokes. Wow. Fantastic. And like I said, I think probably that's the most 89ist out of the 89s. And yeah, we showed the work. (laughs) (laughs) And we could not have done this without the help of one Justin Beam. Again, thank you so much, man, for chatting with us. Because number one, you've brought a level of insight, which is always a good thing. Because again, we're a little bit low-hanging, low-brow fruit, which is good. Which is good. (laughs) We talk about the potty stuff. I brought Uh, up more potty stuff than you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, it's what we do here. Uh, But again, where can our listeners find you out on the interwebs before we head out? You can go to justinbeam.com or social media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, everywhere. Same thing, Justin Beam. That's B-E-A-H-M. And thank you guys again for having me as a part of this. It's, It's really an honor. What a fun discussion. And I love when I'm thrown to movies that I don't, that I haven't visited in a really long time. That was neat to step back in time to compare my mental notes to the reality of what I was seeing <laughs> and to and to really rediscover them at this time after all these years and whatever has happened was a, a really unique experience. So all around, this was a lot of fun. I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, of course, man. And that's then half the fun is revisiting the films and then the other half is talking about them. So thank yeah. you again for doing that. So as Shocker goes into the Frightful Four here in the year of 1989, what is going to join it in the year 1999? Hmm. Uh, you'll have to tune in next week to find out. So until that time, this is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And we will see you in your dreams. Yeah.